0: Jewish Audio on Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchah is the laws of Shar Abayis Hatuma. The rest of the primary sources of impurity. Moving our way through chapter 18 of 20 chapters, Aleph Halacha 1. We established a principle earlier, a very important principle in the laws of purity and impurity, established by our sages, and that is that when there is doubt as to whether something or someone became defiled, became tameh or not, perhaps that person or object is tomei is impure perhaps that person or object is tahor. it depends on which domain it occurs in. If it is a private domain, which, that which halachically defines private domain, in that case, the doubt always leans to the severe interpretation, impurity. And again, the source for that, brought down earlier, is the impurity, which we assume the sota, the adulterous woman has. She is in a private domain. We're not, we're nobody knows what happened. The halacha is, she's considered defiled for her husband. They cannot be intimate together and she has to go and drink of the waters of sota. Doubt in a private domain is established as leaning towards the impure the Paschal Sacrifice, when the vast majority of the Jewish people, or when the majority of the Jewish people were impure, was brought, even in a state of impurity, to benefit the public. When you're in a public setting, doubts, questions about purity and impurity lean towards the pure. That's what we establish. Now the Altar Rebbe picks up and takes it a step further. I'm sorry. Now the Rambam picks up and takes it a step further. Aleph 1. In chapter 18, the Rambam establishes that the more doubt there could be, doubt and doubt within doubt, it depends on the domain. Bishus ha when these doubts are in public domain. Toher, by and large, the rule of thumb is, it is defined, it is ascertained as pure. Why? Because it's in the public domain. Bishus but if it's in the private domain, we lean towards impurity. Ketzal, for example. Nichnas Lamovi, if somebody enters an alley, and back then, people would live by and large in, I guess what we would call today, apartment houses or condominiums, and there would be streets, and there would be alleys, and there would be courtyards, and within the courtyard there would be individual houses. So all of those areas are private domain. Nichnas Lamovi, if he enters into an alley and the source of impurity is in the courtyard. He's not sure, really, if he entered into the courtyard and was exposed to the impurity or not. Maybe he entered. Maybe he didn't enter. Or the impurity was in the house, and here he is in the courtyard. He's really not sure. He can't collect. He can't recollect. He did go, or he didn't go into the house. I feel he went in, Maybe there was impurity there. Maybe there wasn't. If you say the source of impurity was there when he entered, here, Maybe it has the minimum volume required to convey impurity. Maybe it doesn't. Perhaps you say it does, Perhaps it is impure, perhaps it's not impure. Like the classical example, there's one of the eight rodents, which is forbidden. Or there's a piece of frog, which is permissible. Because a frog, although it is a swarmy, creepy, crawly thing, nevertheless, it's not on the list. So we're not sure if it was a piece of mouse or a piece of frog. Got a little dry, a little green. Well, I feel it, told maybe but if it is impure or socket, no got socket, like, no, maybe he touched it or maybe he didn't touch it. In all of these scenarios, a, when somebody has a doubt in this alleyway in the condominium complex, tome, he's impure. Why? Because relative to the street, which is public domain, this private alley is private domain. It has walls around it, it has a, a lechi around it, what we call today an around it, and so on. Similar situation too, T-Shirt What if there are nine frogs? Maybe we should pause and give them all names. Nine frogs. Bishenetz echo the name and one rodent, the rodent we know is Mickey. Mickey Mouse. Bishus the nine frogs and the one rodent are in a private domain. And he knows that he touched one of them, they need a but he doesn't really know. Did he touch a frog? Or did he touch a mouse or a rodent? Sophic Dome, this is an example. Or spake its doubt is is rendered as defiled. This is an example of doubt. And this is private domain. Next case, Tisha shorts him nine rodents of sorts. it's far dead name, one lonely frog. I guess his name could be Kermit, right? Bishru Sarabim in a public domain. This is public. And any touch one of these ten. There were nine impure things and one pure one. Sveikei, each doubt, Ta'hair is pure. Again, private domain. Zakla, this is the rule. Kol Sophic Bishru Sarabim, a doubt in the public domain, Ta'hair is rendered as pure. Achei Yaman, until the person can clearly, definitively say, Nikmei Sibavadei, I'm certain I was exposed to the impurity. Then he's impure? If he's not certain because of? He's impure. The any doubt in a private domain, Tome is assumed to be impure. shall it until the person can say, I'm certain I did not touch the source of impurity. But think of therefore, to translate this, it has many applications. For example, the and the What if there is bones of a corpse? And bones of a human corpse, and bones of an animal carcass. I just lost my place here. The and bones of an animal carcass. bishusarabim, in a public domain. Another example. A gush me to tehera. Or there is a cloud of earth from an area which is considered assumed to be pure. Vigushim and clouds of earth based up From a field in which a human corpse or, or remnants of a human corpse were plowed over. So we're not sure. Wherever you go there might be a fragment of bone large enough to convey impurity. A me eretz Or a cloud of earth coming from outside of Israel. Where we say there's a rabbinic decree. We have to assume that all earth outside of Israel is considered impure. And he touched one of them. He's not sure what he touched and what he moved. He knows he touched something. He knows he moved something. Or, there is at least a minimum olive's worth of a human corpse or an animal carcass. And he caused a tent to unite to... He caused a structure to cover. He's not sure which one. If the tent tented over the human corpse, it's impure. If the tent tented over the animal carcass, animal carcasses do not convey defilement through tents. Or, and here, as we move along in these teachings, this will become very complicated. If there were two roads... Echotah one road is assumed as pure. There's no human remains there. The one road is clearly impure because there is a grave. In order to get through the road, you have to kind of step on part of his grave. he knows he traveled one road. Then you do all He's not sure exactly which one. He might be impure. He might be pure. or he touched a particular person on the road. Then you do He's not sure if that person was defiled, was impure, or pure. Sure was defiled, was impure or pure. Well, there were two people. one defiled. one pure. he knows he touched one of them. Then you do He doesn't remember which one. They look so similar. In all these scenarios, they are in public domains, they are doubtful, they are decided as toher, as pure. Gimel 3, someone finds a human corpse, mushka, stretched out, across the whole walkway, pathway, road, small road. The human corpse consumes the entire width of the road. The corpse was complete, head to toe, covers the entire width of this pathway. So there's no way you can go not to be exposed to this corpse, even if you go over it, you're creating a tent over it. Then this person who traveled this road must be assumed to be impure for the purposes of eating Kohen food. Why? Because it's impossible to travel this road without exposing oneself to the impurity of the corpse. We have to assume that he touched the corpse. However, what if it was not impossible? Or not highly, highly unlikely that he could have negotiated the road and not become exposed? If he went exactly here, there, and there. Or, the corpse was not in one large piece, but it was broken into pieces. Or, you can say that he passed through the various between the hips and other portions of the body, he didn't necessarily have to touch it or hover over it, then this doubt is enough to state that he's pure. But if there was a grave stretched out across the entire roadway or walkway, the grave makes the entire width of the road or walkway impure. Well, who negotiates that walkway is considered impure. But this is not like all the other doubts we enumerated. The overwhelming statistical probability is that he touched the corpse. So when we talk about doubt, there has to be real doubt. Here there is almost no doubt. this is the concept of chazoka, assumption. Similarly, A creepy, crawly thing, a mouse, a rodent, found in an alleyway. You're walking in the alleyway and you saw this mouse. Then, it gives impurity to everything that was in this alleyway. If, if in all probability they had to encounter it, until the time will come when you could say, I remember last Tuesday, I did a thorough search of this alleyway, began playing on this and this day, and there was no rodent. Even if you just swept it, he didn't check it. It goes back and conveys impurity retroactively. Even... Before the time that it was swept, because it was not checked thoroughly. When does the supply that we have to assume that it could have been there for days? If this remnants of the rodent was dried out, therefore it was there for days. If found it, moist and fresh, it only conveys impurity retroactively until the time when one who knows what he's doing can assume that he could have died. This is this time, for example, it was 3 p.m. Somebody looks at the remnants of this rodent and said this rodent died, 9 a.m. So only we go retroactively from 3 p.m. to 9 a.m., not earlier. Because it has to have the moisture that it has now. via So it could be now as moist as it was when we found it. Now we learned earlier that the saliva, or the spit, or the spittle, of an impure person is impure. It's called a body fluid. For example, a Zoboh, or so on. There are two applications of saliva in a private domain. One would be considered pure, because it emanates from a person who is pure. The and one would be a glob of saliva, from the saliva, which exists. Where our sages decree impurity, because we're not sure whose saliva this is. So we learned earlier, when there's doubtful Saliva, we have to assume that it is impure. He knows he touched one of the two. He's, removed it. He's not sure which one, but he knows that one is certainly impure. I'm sorry. He knows that one is certainly pure, and the other one, by rabbinic law, has to be assumed to be impure, because we don't know its origin. all of, we hold this truma in abeyance, which means we can't eat it, and we can't burn it, as a truma, because there are two sets of doubts here. So perhaps he touched the pure saliva, or perhaps he touched the existing one, upon which our rabbis decreed. Impurity because we're not sure of its source. And if you say that that was the one, the impure one, because it's only a rabbinic decree, because we're not aware of its source, maybe it's truly impure and maybe it's pure. So that's a case of clearly defined double doubt. I think the difference between the double doubt in the beginning of this chapter and this double doubt is that that was ambiguous and this is very clear. I'm not exactly sure, but this is my thought. But if both of these uh, blobs of saliva were in public domain in if they were dry, and one of them. again, the domain is different. it's doubt is pure if he's carrying one of them take the all hold the broom in the bay and you know what I wish said here comes an interesting lock once you're carrying it it's not considered in a bubble domain anymore it's in the domain of the one that's carrying. It. and the saliva stuck to it This is a saliva stuck to him. Tell you no, we hold the Because, being that the saliva is now stuck on the person, it's no longer sitting in a public domain. In order that his doubtful condition should be proclaimed pure. It's on his garment. We already explained. He just touches saliva that was just sitting there. We're not sure of its source, which our rabbis established has to be treated as impure. Like a field in which a corpse had been ploughed over, or similar. These are exceptions to the rule. where even in doubt, we burn the Somebody sitting in a public domain. Somebody sitting in a public domain. Person went and trod and stepped on his garments. Stepping on a garment is one form of conveying impurity. It's called Nidras from Nidras. A Shadoka, or he spit, and the spittle touched him. Before the saliva will be burned to Rumas, we said. Yabba Bada regarding the garments. We're not sure who this guy is, and what, or who this woman is, and what the garment is. We assume that the person who stepped on this garment follows the majority of the people in this city. In the majority, let's say of women in the city are impure, and the woman whom he doesn't know stepped on his garment, because of Midros. His garment should be considered exposed to impurity from Midros. but if the majority, fifty-one percent of the people establish purity and maintain purity. Meaning, a person, man or woman, knows when they are in a state of impurity. They keep far away from anything and anybody not to convey that impurity being that this is public domain we establish that it is pure somebody lost the utensil he found it in what's considered a private domain in an alleyway or courtyard or house we have to assume it's impure because somebody leaned on it or stepped on it furthermore we also have to assume that someone who was exposed to death touched it as well why? because the utensil was completely out of his control and who knows what happened to it Oh, my blade, Sarabim. that is because it's in a private domain doubt in a private domain is considered impure but what if he lost this item in a public domain and he also found this item in a public domain he found it in a public domain where the law is much more liberal and lenient if he lost it by day Found it that day, because it's in a public domain it's proclaimed pure if he lost it by day didn't find it till that night, he lost night or lost lost it by day found it the next day. we have to assume that too much time went by where in all probability it did become defiled this is the rule kosher if the entire night or even part of the night passed it is considered in a state of impurity if he left a utensil a utensil in the public domain the night passed it is considered pure why because he didn't lose it he left it or forgot it. But if he put it down or forgot it in a private domain, we have to assume that somebody impure stepped on it, but it is pure from the concern that someone exposed to death, defiled it. Why is there more of a lenient approach to forgetting and putting down, or putting down and forgetting? Why isn't it as severe as the earlier teaching of losing? Because it doesn't usually happen that somebody puts something down and forgets it. It is much more common that people lose things. That's why they're lost and found wherever So because it's not that usual that somebody will put it down and forget it, I don't know, it happens to me all the time. I put things down, I have no idea where I put them. Lay, they did not make this decree. What if somebody loses something? And then finds it in his house. And they To her, he is pure. Why? Because in your own house is considered a guarded place and you don't have to be concerned that somebody came into your house in a state of impurity. It's your private house. If somebody forgets utensils in public domain, public domain has a more lenient approach. But in a private domain we've learned to make and they should be considered impure. Perhaps impure people touch them. And the halacha is that in a private property we lean towards impurity. But if he's guarding them, to hate him they're pure. He knows who comes and goes. Again, there are all kinds of private domains. As we said, a courtyard but it could be considered a private domain, an alleyway and a condominium complex. Not the whole and What if they fell, and he went to find them, and went to bring them to a very pure mission alumino because they got out of his scope of vision. Hain the shop because somebody lost his utensils in a private domain, what's off on Philip even that day in the courtyard or the alley or what have you, how they they are considered midras, which means we have to assume that an impure person stepped on them, or leaned on them, or put pressure on them. Ooh, to we have to also assume that someone exposed to death, conveyed impurity to them by touching or what have you, can they should be as we explain. Now we have a situation where Halacha eleven. What if there is a woman, and the reason he uses the example of a woman, because a male, Zav, a man who has an abnormal sexual flow, is a very rare thing. Whereas a woman, as long as her flow is not exactly in her prescribed menstrual flow calendar, she's already considered a Zavah. And the same goes for Nida and your Yelethus and so on. So that's why the assumption is that the source of this would be a woman. What if there is a woman, Sheter, achas? there's a woman who's not a full mental acuity, but here in the city. Or another example, Nochri, someone who's not Jew- Jewish. And we learned earlier that our sages decreed for a person who's not Jewish, that we have to assume rabbinically that they are a source of all this. As we explained in great detail earlier... By rabbinic law. Wherever and whatever you find saliva in that city, you have to assume it's impure. Everywhere. Because you assume it came from this person who doesn't really have control of what they do or doesn't know what they do or from the non-Jewish woman and our sages decreed that all body fluids would be considered impure. What if a woman stepped on somebody's garments. Again, we're talking about based on the English time when somebody had to be ritually pure to eat ruma, or to eat or participate in sacrifices or in, to go into the, based on the English. So this is what this extra state of purity is all about. So there was a woman of unknown origin or a woman he doesn't know well he doesn't know what she is she is, she isn't who sat on a boat with him and she surely stepped on his clothes. You know, they used to wear long flowing robes so it was very easy to step on people's clothes. If this woman knows that he eats truma and therefore she is careful because that's the custom Caleb to Hayden no matter where she was on the same boat on the same cruise we assume that everything that belongs to him retains ritual purity because she knew that he is somebody who eats truma and has to retain ritual purity and the like if he has no knowledge whether she does or she doesn't whether she's cautious about these things or not he shall let her let him ask her we trust her if she says I don't know anything about it then you got a problem if she says of course I know that people maintain ritual purity and if I was impure I would be cautious that's a different woman You Yudim 013, Nishi 13 Bishw and someone took a nap in a public domain, and he woke up, Caleb, his utensils to aid him are ritually pure. What if somebody, it was late at night, and he touched somebody in a public domain, he tripped on somebody, stumbled on someone. Now the truth of the matter is, he has no idea what he stumbled on, it was pitch dark. Then you do him chayim maybe it was a corpse. If it was a corpse, he's now impure. If he was a living person, not necessarily. Well, Bishach he woke up in the morning, and he says, oh, as they say today in texting, OMG, oh my God, this is a corpse. This person is considered defiled. Why? We don't know if when you tripped down at 11 o'clock at night, the person had died already. Anything that is impure is always treated as the moment in which it was found. Therefore, you found this person right now dead. So you have to assume that when you tripped on this body, it was also dead. We you know, however, what if you saw the person living in the earlier evening? In the morning, early morning, in the early morning, you found him dead. This is truly a doubt as to exactly when this person died. We know the person was alive shortly before dark. Did a person die before I tripped on him or after? That's the question. And it's a public domain. So Safic Bishus Sarabim, it's a doubt in a public domain, but and it's determined as being ritually pure. Kesbal a similar situation scenario. Hamasukon, someone who is in his last moments, he's dangerously ill. Bishu in a private domain, Vinis and he fainted. He lost consciousness. The you're doing may say, I Now we know that the guy's dying, but we have no idea if he died. Or maybe he's still alive and he's just unconscious. They took him out to a private domain. They took him out of the house. The and then, I guess the paramedics, whoever it was they returned they brought him back to the private domain the bottom line is <coughs> if a doubt arises while he's in the private domain domain. <coughs> that doubt is considered impure if the doubt arises in the public domain <coughs> the doubt is tire, rendered pure because that's the rule now that Rambam does something which he occasionally does he tells a story there's a story with a person who was gravely ill and they carried him may from city to city I guess they were looking for a specialist they carried him in a bed It's not an easy thing to carry an ill person in a bed. So they had groups of people, volunteers, who kept changing as they went from city to city. They had new blood. New people. And at the end, when they put him down and somebody examined him, they said, this person passed away. Now the question is, how many groups of those who carried him should be rendered impure? Our sages only pronounced as defiled, the last group. So that is the way we establish this, because it's public domain and a doubt is interpreted liberally. Closing paragraph of this chapter 18. Tomei, someone who is impure, who is standing over a cistern, a cistern is a pit, in which we store liquid, water, wine, oil. As he's babbling and talking, a drop of saliva shot forth from his mouth. That happens sometimes when people talk. Maybe the saliva reached and arrived into the cistern. In that case, being that this person is definitively impure, he just defiled the whole cistern. Sophic legi, or maybe it didn't get there. Maybe it was blocked. Maybe it hit something on the way down. The rule is if it was a cistern filled with oil, we're not sure what it is, and therefore we render it as impure because it's a private domain. However, but if it was a cistern, not of oil, but it was wine, no matter the domain, it is considered pure because usually a situation of this type, this type of wine sister, has a border which, which stops the saliva from entering into it, so therefore that's that assumption. End of chapter 18. Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilchah, the laws of Shah Aves, Hatuma. The rest of the laws of primary sources of impurity. We're working our way through these laws. We are about to study chapter 19 of 20. This is one of the shorter chapters in the Rambam, only four paragraphs. Aleph 1. Here you have to have a mathematical mind and really focus. It's one of these brain teasers. Everybody ready to have their brains teased? Shnei Shvilin, there are two pathways. Pathway A and pathway B. Echotong one of these two pathways, is definitively impure. You go on it, you're going to hit a corpse. You're going to be exposed to impurity. There's no two ways about it. The here, and one is clearly assumed to be pure. Okay. In order to get from point A to point B, you have to go on one of these two paths. If he journeyed in one of these paths, so what's the problem? The problem is, you do a Bezaman Malach. He's not sure which one. He knows he took one of them, but they all look the same. So clearly speaking, this person is either impure or is pure. If he took the impure path, he's impure. If he took the pure path, he's, he pure, path, he's pure. Nothing to talk about. But as the scenario unfolds, we also taught as he then went and engaged in working with and doing stuff with pure foods, pure objects. Let's say truma or sacrifice, he engaged in objects that must be engaged in only in a state of purity. The they were eaten. Now, what he knew was that he still might be impure. So just in case to be to be certain. The he went and had the mixture of the red ashes sprinkled upon him on the third and seventh day of his count. The he then went as Allah mandate, he immersed in a mikvah. The so clearly, no matter which path he journeyed, he's now 100 percent pure. Because if the path he journeyed on, to begin with, was the pure path... All right, so he used the red pepper mixture without cause. Okay. No harm done. If the pathway he journeyed on was the impure one, he's now pure, clearly. So either way, he's 100% pure. The plot thickens. The next day, he went. And he, create, and he worked with pure food. So, the first time he did it, maybe it was pure, maybe it was impure. The second time, it was surely pure. The second set is clearly pure. But if the first set is alive, if the first... Foods are still there, they have not been done away with yet. Then, then one of the two, should, then they should both be held in abeyance. Because surely he defiled one of these two foods. that's if he purified himself in the interim. So it's a serious doubt. But if he didn't, then Arishain is the first set of foods. Fluuyas have to be kept in abeyance. But the second one, must be burned. Because they are certainly impure because this person surely traveled an impure road. This guy is for sure impure. Why? Because he traveled on both roads and did not purify himself in the interim. Similar scenario. So also, if there is a impure rodent. And a frog, which is pure. But they are so shriveled, they are also as They look the same. You can't distinguish their shape, their form. The Ain you do, it's not clearly now known. Which is the creepy, crawly thing, which is the impure. And when he knows he touched one of them, either the mouse or the frog. We also ate us And then, he worked with pure foods when they were eaten. Vitaval, and then he immersed. Minogavashen, and he touched the second one. We also touch Haroset again. He worked with pure foods. Hey, look at this. These can both be assumed as pure. But if the first one is still there, hey, look at They should both be held in advance. That's if you immersed. In other words, if you approach a question one at a time, one at a time, get pure. But if they're both there, you're approaching the question two at a time. One of them is impure. But if he didn't, immerse. The first, the second should be burnt. Again, two roads. One is impure, one is pure. He traveled one of them. He also taught us then he worked with pure food. Now, the difference here is that a second person came, and traveled the second roadway. He also taught us that he worked with pure, pure food. Here, there are two separate people. One traveled one roadway, worked with pure food. The other traveled the other roadway, and worked with pure food. One of them is impure. If they came one, and then the other to ask a question, from a expert, from a rabbi, separately. Each and every one of them separately, having been exposed to impurity in a public domain, made in and the rabbi has to rule that each and every one of them, independently, are pure because it's sopik tumah, bishul sarabim. If the doubt of impurity in a public domain, but both shnei they both came together. The one came and he asked a question about himself. He said, "By the way, I got my buddy too. and <coughs> He just traveled the same road, or, or he just traveled the other road." La'chavei deyomar. we were two. Ovishnei shnei we traveled two roads. and we both worked with pure foods. And the rabbi has to rule at the same time; he can't rule that they're both pure because it's a conflict. And to me, we must rule that they're both impure. harish also, and that which they worked with, which was pure, this surface sort of has to be burned, this surface sort of has to be burned. V'chein, this also applies. Not only with a severe form of impurity, but even with a lesser form of impurity. In mitzvah b'tzomakalev, they were defined by a lesser form. Case, for example, Snake he caught him two loaves of bread. Echad one impure, echad one, one pure. Achalas echad consumed. He ate one of them. V'yasa poharis, and he worked with pure food. but he came and consumed the second loaf One of them ate an impure loaf, V'yasa tordis and then worked with pure foods. Initial was a question was posed to the rabbi, first one and then the other. Shnei the rabbi can tell them both that they are pure. But they shen sof, he gives because this would be, as we explained earlier, a doubt of a rabbinic issue. Shemikalas Shiti This is one of these details which we learned earlier that our sages determined that they are pure, chapter 8 halacha 10, earlier this is included in the doubts which our sages purified earlier simultaneously to the rabbi to pose the question and his friend scenario earlier in a state of doubt the rabbi must pronounce them both impure and the pure items they work with have to be burned because surely one of them is impure even one loaf which is clearly impure which became mixed with 100 pure loaves. Kulon Tameyim, they're all impure, and they should be burned. Yimmo an impure loaf, that became mixed into with nine loaves that are pure, one impure with nine loaves that are pure. Vole Hamishim, the other five people came, and ate five out of ten. Again, the scenario is one of them is impure. There's now ten of them, nine are pure. Five people came, each one ate one. We're not sure what they ate. Vole Hamishim, the and five other people came, the other five consumed each one a loaf, but they consumed the other five. What do we do? Here's an interesting law. Horishayim Tameyim, the earlier ones we rule as they are impure. Why? because you cannot say someone ate the impure one because all dinner are here so we have to assume that one of them ate the impure one but the last five people the second set of five can be rendered pure because they can say the impure one that was already consumed by the other group so again it's an application of logic closing paragraph of this chapter two roads one is impure one is pure two people travel them one is already pure one is already, one is already impure one of these people is established as pure the other is established as impure and there are two roads one impure and which pure? The problem is we don't know which person traveled which road. It's possible the pure person traveled the pure road. The impure person traveled the impure road. In that case, status quo. Everything is the same. It's possible the opposite. I feel like. Even one of them, his status is in abeyance. The one who is pure can say the other one walked the impure road. We can assume that the pure one walked the pure road, and he can maintain his status of purity. We can say that he took the impure road, even though they were asked together, because the fact is they can can each blame the other. End of chapter 19. Rambam Hilchay Shar, the laws of the remainder, the balance of the major sources of impurity, Pesik Estherim, chapter 20. And we have a milestone today. We complete this section of Halacha in the Rambam. And, of course, a reminder that the Rambam is unique amongst the codifiers where he deals with laws that apply both during the time of the Besandigdash and after the time of the destruction of the Besandigdash. And we know that, by and large, many, if not most, of the purity-impurity laws were only practiced during Besandigdash time because it was critically important for people to maintain ritual purity. And we learned earlier that our sages instituted that whenever there is a doubt as to whether someone contracted impurity or not... Where by Torah law, doubts are never impure. By Rabbinic law, our sages instituted. It depends in which domain this occurs. If it occurs in a private domain, then we lean towards the severe, and the person is considered impure. If it occurs, if this doubt occurs in the public domain, then we lean towards the liberal application, and the person by and large is considered pure. Which means, sopik. When there's a doubt, Vishus Harabim in a public domain is Torah is pure. Sopik, a doubt, Vishus Hayochet in a private domain, tomei is by and large impure. Now the question is, what is a public domain and what is a private domain? The only place we dealt with public domain and private domain are in the laws of Shabbos. Because on Shabbos, you now that to carry from one domain to the other, and we dealt extensively with a public domain and a private domain. In fact, our sages say that there are four domains. In addition to public and private, there's also a Carmelis, something like a river or an ocean, or an area which is vast but does not have that much traffic. It's called a Carmelis, and then there's a Mokom Tur, something that's exempt altogether. So now we're going to learn definitions of domains with, re- with regard to the laws of purity and impurity. Again, if you have a legal mind, it'll be much more exciting to take this in. Otherwise, it's still fascinating the way halacha develops. Aleph, <laughs> kolmokimshu, in every place, which is considered a public domain, li'inyan Shabbos, relating to the laws of Shabbos, of Sabbath. If in the Shabbos laws this is a public domain, kach, rishusarabim, li'inyan tumus, so also the area in question will be considered a public domain regarding the laws of purity and impurity. That are public domain has a more liberal application of the laws of purity and impurity than a private domain. So the rule of thumb is that whatever is a public domain for Shabbos is also a public domain for impurity, but throughout this chapter we're going to learn a lot of exceptions to this rule. Bayes. first he talks about private domains, Arba, Ames, <laughs> the four cubits. A cubit is about a foot and a half. So the four cubits are about six feet, which are adjacent, to the public domain, which means the edge of the private domain, even though for the purposes of Shabbos, private is private, nevertheless for the purposes of impurity and purity, something very close to a public domain is already considered a public domain and has a more liberal law. And so also, which means either a sea or a covered walkway, with all of the definitions of Carmelis, and just a note here in his commentary to the Mishnah, tract in Shabbos, chapter 1, the Rambam explains the derivation of this word Carmelis. The word Armalit is in Aramaic widow, and karmelit means kid. Armelit, like a widow. So, also, this domain is not a place where many people walk, so it's like a widow. It's not classified, though, as a public domain. Nevertheless, it's not set off from the public sufficiently to be considered a private domain, as we say in Yiddish. As we say in English, neither here nor there. Among the examples of karmelit given by the Rambam are as follows one, a mound in the public domain, because we learn about heights setting off your own domain, a groove in the public domain, anything higher or lower than the public domain, a passageway that's not enclosed. And all of this applies to the laws of Shabbos laws. that a karmelit is not a public domain and not a private domain, but for the purposes of our laws here, regarding ritual impurity, since they are not private places, they are considered as public domains, and they have a more liberal application of the purity and impurity laws. Like the sea, or a covered walkway is considered like public domain having a more liberal application for the laws of impurity and continuing in this chapter various scenarios yes, there are places even though for the purposes of the Sabbath laws they are considered a private domain why? because with regard to the Sabbath laws we have only one interest is it set apart? is it fenced in? with all of the details which we learned so even though there are some places that for Shabbos law are considered a private domain for purity and impurity purposes they are public domains the Eluhain, and he brings down a bunch of examples here. Such, for example, pathways leading to storage caverns, to cisterns, and wine presses. So we're talking about, as he says here in the note, about an alley enclosed by a wall on either side, but open at its entrance and leading to, or ending at, one of the storage places just mentioned. Since people can enter only from one side, it's considered as a private domain regarding Shabbos. Nevertheless, it's says a certain amount of human traffic to and from the storage areas. It's considered as a public domain with regard to ritual impurity. Again, more liberal application. Another example, Bahabiko a valley which is enclosed, go there with a gate in the summertime and here we see that the rambam differentiates between here and the halacha later with regard to an enclosed valley whether it's summer or winter and he says here in the note, in the summer a valley will not be a place through which many people pass nevertheless there are going to be people who are harvesters and other farm workers and therefore, it cannot be considered a private place. And in Halacha 6, we'll deal with the status of the winter, but in the interim, we know that an enclosed valley is considered a public place for the purposes of purity and impurity. O Basilki a basilka of kings, it's a structure that kings had. Again, he says here in the note that in Greek, the word basilius means king. It's a king's building. Like King's County. The Rambam describes it as an ample sized roof building. And afterwards, later, the term took on many different meanings. And the Rambam defines it here Shubinian Rochav Harbe. It's a wide structure, where the king's carriage drivers can hang out like a bus depot. The Yeshlek Sochen Harbe has many doors. open to the public. So, for all practical purposes, this is public domain for purity and impurity laws. The Hapuron and Apuron. What's Apuron? I'm glad you asked. This is a large building, Hubinian agodla, a big building, which has two doors, one opposite the other, and a courtyard. Multitudes of people enter one door, and go out the other door. Therefore, this is a high traffic area, for the purposes of purity and impurity laws, considered a public domain with a liberal application. And so also, mevoyes lanes I which go down to the sea, north to a river, so again it has a lot of public passage. Even though they are fenced and gated on each side, but multitudes of lots of people utilize these lanes. Also considered public domain for purity. Also, pillars and bathhouses. Also considered public domains. Even though they're fenced in, they're gated, they're closed. The above list is considered like public domain for the purposes of purity and impurity. Which means, in plain simple English, if there's a doubt, it's rendered pure. Interesting point that Amba makes in the closing words here of this... Paragraph, and so also, the entire courtyard of the Holy Temple, clearly a private domain, but used by public. For our purposes, it's like a public domain, for the purposes of purity and impurity. So what they're saying is there is a major difference between the application of domains on Shabbos, where we're interested in the structural privacy, in the laws of purity and impurity, we're looking at how many of the public hang out there, how public it is and how private it is. Gadlays, I'm sorry. Gadlays, the city rooftops, and there used to be a situation where people would actually travel on the roofs. It was almost like the upper lane of, of travel in the city. Shadera chayir eivin where there's a road that the houses were flat, and the roofs allowed for passage, like the second tier of a freeway. in latuma, even though they are roofs, nevertheless, because they are thoroughfares for city passages, they are considered a public domain for our purposes. And if you are at the note here, in the Talmudic era, anybody here from the Talmudic era? Okay, we have one person here from the Tumblr Cities were built on many levels. Often the lower level of a city would be used for marketplace or dwellings and the upper level to transport goods. Okay, we should tell the uh, caltrans about how to build freeways. There'll be less traffic. Hey, Haginah Gardens is a garden for the purposes of purity and impurity. A public or private domain, I'm glad you asked. Bisman when it's guarded, when well, you have a security guard there who shoots first and asks questions later. Rishushayok is clearly a private domain. Because nobody has access there. Well Bisman Shahishamadis, but if it's not guarded. Rishusarab in the that is a public domain pertaining to the laws of impurity. The so also a large basilica. Bismansha Pasanasa, when it's open, Rushusar Abin the tomb is considered a public domain for the purpose of impurity, or Bismansha Nilonaso and when this is closed, Rushusha Yahalakya was a private domain for all purposes. Again, something they had back then. Uh okay. Golf. Now we continue along the lines of the valley. We learned earlier about the valley in the summertime. It has employees. It has harvesters. It's a busy place. It is considered a public domain. What about the winter? Habi is to A valley that has a wall around it. In the rainy season, is considered a private domain. Both for the laws of Shabbos. Remember, it's walled or gated. And for the purposes of purity and impurity. Why? Because no one's going to go there in the winter. It's rainy and muddy. And there's nobody harvesting anybody, anything. But if it was not enclosed, for the purposes of purity and impurity, it could be considered a private domain. For the purposes of Shabbos, it's not considered a private domain. When, however, the winter passed, after a valley was fenced in, it becomes a private domain even in the summer for the purposes of impurity, because people learn that it's private. What's the definition of summer and winter for this purpose? Once whatever produce is growing there is uprooted, then it's considered summer what's considered the winter season? When the second rain comes down. What about Bein in between the round barrels of grapes where the grapes are placed? Shalanovim, Lazugin, and the pile of grape shells that piles up in between, which means the grape harvesters are putting the good stuff in the barrels and the shells out there. that area in between is considered a public domain for the purpose of impurity, so the, liber- the laws are more liberal. Okay, what about a vineyard? Zayin Kedem, a vineyard, if it's in front of the harvesters, which means the vineyard area that the harvesters did not yet get to. Clearly, the its a private domain. Anybody goes into the vine, the vineyard area, which has not yet been harvested. Uh, what does it say on the sign? Trespassers will be violated. So it's a private property. Nobody goes into private vineyards. La breaks in once it's already been harvested, everybody goes. You have the poor people who come and so on. Then it's a public domain Of course, the harvesting has been done, and now come and get it. A I when does this apply? Is when multitudes of people enter from one side, the yechsin beduza can enter and exit from the other side. So it's a place where a lot of people go. It will be considered public domain for the purposes of impurity. Meaning, if there's a doubt in this domain, it's ruled liberally. But kolam kevim is all other places. Chutz me'eivusha be'arnu. Now the Caps off this section. He says, Any other place, with the exception of those enumerated, Kishain, Shehain, the Shusayach, and the Shabbos, just as they are private domain for the purpose of Shabbat law, of Shabbos law, Kachso also, the Shusayach, they are private domain, the tomb, for the purposes of impurity. Now that Ammon goes on in eight, he has now, there are other places, Shehain, under Shusayach, of the Shabbos, they are not considered a private domain for the purposes of Shabbos. So I would think that these places, which are not considered a private domain for the purposes of Shabbos, should also not be considered a private domain for the purposes of purity and impurity. Because so far it appears that we've been much more liberal in the purity and impurity laws. So if it's not a private domain for Shabbos, and for the purposes of purity and impurity, private domain is a problem. It surely should not be a private domain for purity and impurity. I would think, says the Rambam No. The Afal became nevertheless. They are considered a private domain for the purposes of impurity. And therefore, if there's a doubt, it's impure. Just the opposite of what we've been learning until now. What's going on here? Why are these places different? Manishana. Oh, well, let's face it. Never mind. home. The answer is a very simple one. In the case of purity and impurity, we care private and public domain, how used it is, how open to the public it is, how many people go there. These are areas that people simply don't go. Therefore, they may be a private domain, but who cares? I'm sorry, therefore, they may be. A private domain for Shabbos. They may not be a private domain for Shabbos, but they are a private domain for impurity. And he goes out to enumerate these places. Number one is, holes in the walls of public domain area, even though they are not a domain on their own. If something is four cubits by four cubits, then it's... I'm sorry, I said that wrong. If something is four handbreadths by four handbreadths, which is the minimum size of a private domain with regard to Shabbos laws, and these are smaller than that, but people don't use them. Therefore... They are considered a private domain, and the law of impurity is more severe. Ketzadi spells it out: even a tree. Shereinu bisharabah, which is standing in a public domain, v'tumah b'sarichay, and there's a source of impurity within the tree. Olaliraysheh. If he ascended, he climbed up to the top of the tree. Sabik nagah, sabik He's not sure whether he touched the source of impurity or not. Smekei, this doubt, tomei, is ruled impure, and that's the rule here. If he put his hand into a hole in the public domain which has a source of impurity, sabik nagah, he's not sure if he touched or not. Sabik leynoga, sabik tomei, or tomei. His doubt is impure again because it's a low traffic area. Now we come to an interesting section dealing with stores, retail. Chanus, a store. Shikmeya, which is impure. Why is it impure? Because it has a serious source of impurity in it. Like a corpse. Or like a piece of a corpse. Or like a leper. Ufsucha. I, I don't mean a leopard. I mean a leper. Ufsucha, this store opens to the public domain. You know, It goes on to Wilshire Boulevard. Sophic nichnas, now. The person is questioning his, his state is not sure whether he entered into the store or sofik, maybe he was just walking by the window. Going window shopping. to her. This doubt is considered pure. Why? Very interesting. Because he's in the public domain. Any doubt that arises in the public domain is pure. Because what happens is, is the entire store becomes like it is an impure rodent standing in a public domain. Here he is on Walsh He's not sure if he touched this rodent. Or here he is on Walsh He's not sure if he entered this store, which has a piece of corpse in it. So the entire store becomes impure. Therefore, he's in a public domain, unsure whether he became exposed or not. We have the liberal application of a public domain. There's two stores. One is established as pure. There is no source of impurity there. The Achas and one is clearly impure. The guy knows he entered one of them. The Achas he entered one of the stores. Not sure which one. Because they were both selling Shmapas. Sopik Latome, what? Maybe he went into the impure store. Sopik, Nicholas, maybe. Sopik Latome, perhaps he entered into the impure store. Sopik Latome, perhaps he entered into the pure store. Speke Tome, here his doubt is impure. Why? Because he was clearly in a private domain. He was in a store. The store is a private domain. He's not sure which one. So the doubt is a private domain doubt. Again, that's a legal twist. Because the store is considered a private domain. So also, because this valley. There's one field, that's known to be impure. And The There's one field known clearly to be pure. The Omar and the guy says, I'll tell you the truth, I don't remember which field I went into. I entered into this valley. Many a day, but I'm not sure. In the Hnasty, I went into the impure field or not. Here, his doubt is considered again impure. Why? Because the doubt is a private domain doubt. It's a private domain doubt. Clearly, he was in that field. A philosophic diatome. Therefore, even if he's not sure whether he entered or not, he's still considered impure because it's a question of private domain. Now comes a different situation. Sometimes a particular place could be considered a private domain. Sometimes it could be considered a public domain. What if it was, for whatever reason, a private domain? Then it was converted and it became a public domain. So now it's a public domain. because of Then it becomes converted again and becomes a private domain. When the question occurs, when it's a private domain, its doubt is interpreted in a more severe way and is impure. And when the doubt is in in this place, which is now a public domain, its doubt is interpreted as pure. Eleven. Dvarim Shem Bishusaravim. As a rule, objects in the public domain have a hein. Bishusaravim are like the public domain. For example, kupa. There's a box or a container. Bishusaravim in the public domain. Gabe, I saw talking. It has ten handbreadths high. Atumah the sechah. There's impurity in it. Sapik noga, sapik noga. He's not sure whether he touched the impurity or not. Sveka, his doubt is pure? Why? Even though this is a container, but it's in a public domain. Here's the sechah. What if he put his hand into the container? Sapik noga, sapik min noga. knows for sure he put his hand in the container. He doesn't know if he touched the impure source or not. Sveka, which means it has to be a lesser form of impurity. Sveka, his doubt is talmi. Impure? Why? Because his hand was in the private domain. Earlier, he was in the public domain. Here, his hand clearly went into the private domain. What if there was a stone container resting on his shoulder? A stone container, meaning a container that was made out of stone, which does not contract impurity because of the material. So there's a container made out of stone on his shoulder. And there's a loaf of bread, which is called food food, wrapped in a piece of tree bark, a piece of paper, safely tucked in this stone container. Now we're unsure whether another person, who may be impure, touched it or not. He says, It's doubt is considered impure because that container is considered a private domain. Doubts in a private domain are impure. What if somebody has a donkey in the public domain? donkey. Anybody who has a donkey, please raise your hand. Okay, we don't have a lot of donkeys here. A donkey in the public domain. How about a pinto? Anybody have a pinto? A ford? the donkey in the public domain. The donkey is certainly higher than ten hand breaths. And on top of this donkey there's a source of impurity. So the donkey is sitting. The donkey should be private domain in public domain. He's not sure if he touched the source of impurity or not. Which is sitting on the donkey. The doubt is pure. Why? Because the doubt is for the person who's in the public domain. Public domain doubts are, are, are pure. However, we learned this law just a little bit earlier in different words. He extended his hand over the donkey. So now he's, his hand is where? In a private domain. Sopik Naga is not, not sure if he touched or not. Sveke, Tome, now, the doubt would be a private domain doubt. Because his hand was there. The question is, did he touch or not? So if doubt is considered impure. Also sell a, a rock, a stone. A rock, Which is standing set up in a public domain, however, it's more than 10 handbreadths high, 10 handbreadths or more high, which makes it a private domain, as we learned extensively in the laws of of On this 10 handbreadth height stone, there is a source of impurity. He is in the public domain, the rock is a private domain, and the impurity is on the private domain. The question is, did he touch? Did he not touch? Because he is in the public domain. The doubt is pure. Allah, but if you ascend it, the shall it to the top of the rock. So now he is in a private domain because he has a piece of the rock. Because he's on the rock, Suffolk Noga, Suffolk Lainoga, we're not sure if he touched the rock or not, because he's now in a private domain, its doubt is tomei impure. Next case, the closing halacha of this chapter, halacha 13 of chapter 20, and this will close all 20 chapters of this section, of what if there was someone who was a zav, a source of impurity, because he has a condition of impurity, sexual impurity flowing from his body, as the Mosnayim commentary said earlier when we learned these laws, very similar to today's gonorrhea. It's a condition that is a problematic un- abnormal condition. So in addition to whatever medical issues there are, it imparts impurity. If there is a Zov riding on his donkey. al and then there's another guy riding on a donkey. And they're traveling along the road. <coughs> now it was a tight squeeze in the passing lane, or they were coming up against each other, traffic. Sopik Nogab Azab, he's not sure if he touched this Zov Sopik Lay Noga, he's not sure if he didn't touch it. What is the law? Next scenario, before we answer, what is the law? I'll give you a hint. All of these will be decided as pure because they're in a public domain. Because there's an uncertainty in a public domain. Tiniatomim, there's a child who has become impure due to the fact that the child, for some reason, was exposed to impurity. Morka al sepe he's riding on the shoulders of his father. The tiniatoyah, there's a pure child. Again, they could be heading to the, base of the English. They have to maintain ritual purity. Morka al sepe he's riding on the shoulders of his father. So there are two kids being given a uh, a shoulder back ride, as they used to say. The halchos that they went one adjacent to the other. We're not sure if the two kids touched. You know, sometimes the kids will give a high five to each other. I'm not sure they had high fives back then. Maybe they called them high fours or another scenario there were utensils spread out on there was a package rather on his shoulder and there was some spittle somebody spit and there was a wad of spit on the wall Again, this bit could possibly be from someone who is impure. Our sages say we have to assume it might be. But we're not sure if he touched it or not. If the package touched it or not. Or, next scenario. Utensils were spread out on a surface in the public domain. Higher than ten hand Because that makes it a private domain. And the person who is ritually impure passes by. We don't know if he moved them or not. So all of these are really questions of doubt in a public domain. Says the Rambam. I think the Rambam intentionally wanted to end this subject with with the words, everything is pure. And the Rambam ends with the three words, he always ends, Blessed be the compassionate God who assisted me and us in the the ability, the Rambam says, to compose these laws. And with Mazul of we completed another section. Before we go off the air, the next section we begin with is a uh, a very, uh, as we used to say in the 60s, a very heavy section, the laws of food, because purity and impurity have special complex laws involving food. And that is what we will begin, Bezrat Hashem, in our next class, end of chapter 20.